listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. I'm Sarah Cho. And I'm Sam Collier. And today's topic for this episode is play formats or formatting your play and what are the different ways we've seen other playwrights format their plays and uh, what's normal, what's not. I don't know. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, and what's out there in terms of... um possibilities or programs or tools you can use um yeah so I mean so for me I I have always wanted to just use a word document and I when I first took a playwriting class in undergrad I was trained on using standard play format and it had to be size 12 courier new font and we were given very clear instructions on um, like exactly where on the page stage directions should appear and the character name should appear and um, mm-hmm. and we were graded on it and so it was kind of drilled into me and yeah. even then a lot of my classmates were using final draft and I really resisted that because I wanted to I, I just wanted the freedom of um, or I don't know, even know if it's freedom. Maybe it's control. <laughs> I just wanted to be in charge of where everything right. went on the page. Yeah, no, totally. For me, is like complete opposite. I think from you is that I just want the most convenient, easiest thing to do the writing for me. Like that kind of mm-hmm. where it's sort of like I don't want to keep rewriting the characters' names. I don't want to um, uh, think about formatting at all. Mm-hmm. Like. So that I could just sort of that kind of for me is a task that I could just rely on a program for while I think of like the creating stuff, like sort of this. I'm relying on this program to do the the tedious stuff for me while I do the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of like that. I hear that, but I disagree. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I think at least for me, it's like it's like while my conscious brain is focusing on the tedious mm-hmm. stuff that allows my unconscious brain to be creative. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I, if I were putting my conscious brain 100% on tr- like trying to be creative, I don't know if it would work. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing, and then I totally see that too, because when I started to wanting to play a little bit with the formatting, I was like, oh man, there's some limitations too mm. on the final draft mm-hmm. or any of the programs because because it's the program for a certain way of writing. And I was like, uh, that's now like for this particular play, I don't want to do this thing. I want to do something else. Yeah. So then I would have to venture out. But I feel like initial initially, maybe the first draft or a play, I don't really feel like they're I care about the formatting too much. And just want the convenience. Yeah, I just go straight to the program. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are what is first of all the standard format for playwriting? So traditionally, you're supposed to use Courier New Twelve Point Font. Um, the character name is supposed to be capitalized and um, four inches from the edge of the page, or three inches from the one inch margin, and where a lot of my students get into trouble is they try to center the character name, but then what happens is they kind of migrate back and forth across the center of the page. Right. So centering is a no, no. Um, And then your opening stage directions 
you, after you put act one, scene one, which I think actually can be centered. This is one of the very few things that can be centered. Then you would put at rise in all caps on the left margin. And then Mm -hmm. you'd put your opening stage directions, which is what the setting or the stage looks like when the lights come up. Um, you'd put that in the same spot as the character names. So three inches from the margin. And then you would begin the action. And once you've started your dialogue and the dialogue is aligned with the left margin, then from there on after within the same scene, stage directions occur in parentheses. Um, Either I've seen one inch from the margin and I've also seen one and a half or one and a quarter inches from the margin. I think mm-hmm. officially it's supposed to be one and a quarter, but people do change that. So um, in standard play format, you don't use italics. Um, you, The only thing that's at, on the left margin is the dialogue. And I've heard that part of the reason for doing it that way and making it so standardized is that you can quickly look at a script and figure out how long it will take on stage because one page is about one minute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's standard play format. And there are, I think now are not very many places that are um, really exacting about people submitting their plays in exactly that format. I think right. there's much more variability but every once in a while I encounter a place that says you must submit your play in exactly this format right Um, so yeah when you first took playwriting were you did you have to write it in that format or no um I I think that format um was introduced but I feel like I just remember my instructors not being very you know firm on it there was very loosey-goosey about the formatting and how we could do whatever we want you know mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't critical about how it's formatted That's I mean so what nice. you're saying you know the character the dialogue I think it has to be clear and consistent on the page so when yeah. we're like reading in class together that we're following what should a play look like or um how it should be read but mm-hmm. um yeah, I think one of my playwriting classes from undergrad, the instructor was actually was well, a playwright turned screenwriter. So I was introduced to Final Draft that way. And also because I studied film. So I knew right, my screenwriter right. team instructors use Final Draft. And I just remember, you know, oh, options, format, or um, – templates play i'm like okay Mm -hmm. perfect i'll just click on that and i'll just start doing my assignment here (laughs) um yeah and so yeah so final draft it was what i first used to write scripts really just in general from plays screenwriting and tv pilots um and i kind of stuck with that through graduate school too and i think final draft is the most popular software that people use would you say that's true Mm -hmm. i think so i think so too because especially i feel like if you're a writer who's also just interested write other formats you just sort of stick to that one i think because out of 
yeah, again, convenience, comfort. <laughs> it's all <laughs> in this one program, really. Um, and it is popular, super expensive. I got it when I was a student. So I got that student discount and I kind of used the same thing uh, since 18 <laughs> or 19 years old. So I just never upgrade. Don't upgrade. Do you know? I How much think the right price is almost like anywhere between $100, $200. Wow. Like it's. And I got it for like $59 when I was a student. So I was like, oh, it's an investment. So they say. Well, yeah, you're investing in your career. So it, mm-hmm. it just like buying printer paper, I guess, or ink. Um, Microsoft Office now has this new pricing plan where rather than buying the software one time, you it's more of a subscription model. So you have to pay oh, every yeah. year and then the, all the updates are mm-hmm. built into that. Um, right, which I resisted and then accepted because <laughs> I think our whole economy is moving in that direction. But yep. so when you bought Final Draft, was it just like a one-time purchase, or do you have to keep? Um, the yeah, at the time uh, it was one time, and after I think eight or nine years, the program kept bugging me to upgrade, uh-huh. <laughs> being like, "You have to upgrade. You have to upgrade." Um, and was that a free so, upgrade or did you have to pay for it? No, it was like additional. Okay. But yeah. it was, it was like low. It's like paying that full price of $200 or something. Right. It was like pretty in comparison, pretty minimal, but yeah, that's another thing too, is these programs, like, they want to be updated yeah. for some reason. Well, I don't know anything <laughs> about software programming, but I, yeah. I assume that it has to do with, because everything else, all the other software on your computer is changing, and because programs develop bugs, they have to be yep. um, they have to be maintained, and they have to be updated to work with everything else. And of course, the people who are doing those updates have to make mm-hmm. a living as well. But honestly, I think I'd be happier if I were just like writing on papyrus. Papyrus, <laughs> the font. No, no, the actual. Oh, thing. I, like, I was like, that's an ugly font. No, not the font. The thing the oh, font like is the named paper. after. Oh, so like the e, like like fountain pen ink. Yeah, exactly. Where oh, where nobody dear could goodness. bug me by saying I have to up upgrade my software oh, because Sam. it's just by hand. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you just gave the listeners just uh, a look into your life. Even more. <laughs> um, another screenwriting program that I use um, is fairly new. It's called Highland, which was created by John August. He's a screenwriter and he's uh, also does a podcast show called Script Notes. And I like Highland. And out of curiosity, you know, I just sort of signed up for it because it was while final draft is like a program that's created by um you know not really the intention of forward screen i mean it's not like created by a writer the way highland oh really i didn't know that i don't think so yeah i mean i think final draft is just you know commercial program whereas highland was created by a screenwriter who did big fish i like that oh really oh i didn't know that yeah 
so I so I gave it a shot and I just kind of played around with the program. First of all, it's very techy. Like you have to know coding a little bit. <laughs> I will never sort of, use it. Because <laughs> he's a because he's a he's I think John Angus is a bit of a coder and he likes it. And so Is he uh, Scottish? So, Highland makes me think of Scotland. Oh, like, I don't Highland. Good question. I don't honest I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um That was a tangent. The program I like it because it helps one of the cool attributes is this way of organizing your script. Like you can copy and paste and put into these on the program it looks like little index cards you could put onto like a panel on the side and you could drag and back into your script wherever you wanna place it in. I don't know. It's fun in That's that cool. aspect and I love it. Um for playwriting, I wrote a play with it. Because one, I, I just like, oh, I like the the look of it. It just felt modern because mm-hmm. the font it was using and just kind of. And so I wrote a because I wrote a play um, about technology, about dating apps and like things like that. And so I kind of I liked the way the the screenwriting or the the program kind of just gave me the look and the tone of it because the the play was about that about so mm-hmm. but the index card thing sounds really cool mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah i like it a lot um when it comes to organizing but i have not <laughs> written any other plays with it <laughs> other than that one play um, do you find yourself so that's interesting because it kind of brings up this idea of using different wanting to use different programs for different plays or different formats for different plays so do you find yourself choosing at the beginning? Like, did you think, oh, I want to write this play, so I'm going to use Highland for this? Uh, no, because, yeah, so when I have the idea for a play, you know, I think I wrote this play first in final draft, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't, like, it wasn't it's making me feel like this is, getting the ideas across the way I wanted to for some oh, reason. Okay. And then I discovered Highland and I was like, let me try to rewrite this play on this program. And then, which I ended up finishing. Cause I was like, I just liked the look of it. I liked how it kind of changed the play mm-hmm. the way I wanted to and just sort of read the way I wanted to. Um, so it was, it's sort of just surprise discovery kind of like, being open to what's out there and just being flexible and adapting, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Was it free or does it cost money? Um, yeah, it costs money. <laughs> but I think it's not like $200 or anything. It was like on the app store. I don't know how much it costs now, but I got it when it first came out. I think it was like promoting it for like $15 or something. Oh, that's not bad. Well, yeah. and it feels nice to, I'm sure – to support an individual who you know, oh, this is a writer who built this thing and, you know, yeah. paying that person for that product they made. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, I just use Microsoft Word and um, I do find myself now kind of choosing how I want to lay it out on the page at the beginning of a play. And I don't often, mm. I don't use standard play format anymore. Um, at least not in the first draft, because mm-hmm. sometimes I find, well, first of all, I've really fallen out of love with Courier. I just, it just <laughs> drives me bananas. I don't know why. I used to no. love it and now I hate it. 
Well, I don't know. I just don't see Courier on plays anymore, like at all. Yeah. And, you know, I still tell my students to use it, but I'm kind of wondering if I should even do that anymore. It's such an annoying font. I don't know why. Yeah. I used to love it, but now, I don't know. I Often I just use Times New Roman or I like Garamond right. too. Yeah. And then for the final draft, I think that's the, the font they use. Times New Roman. Times New Roman, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which does make, you can fit Uh a little bit more text on the page, so it does kind of change the length a little Mm. bit. um, Mm -hmm. Enough to be noticeable. And then I I play around with state directions. Like sometimes I put them in italics um, or all the way on the right. I think one of my plays I wrote in WordDoc because it, it it's not a one woman show but it's like a one woman centered show i guess uh-huh. and then so and it i wanted to write a play that reads more like monologue but kind of like a novel sort of thing and i mm-hmm. used the microsoft word so because i was just like i like the look of block of text on word doc way more than final draft cuz final draft is just it's it just looks hideous and crazy how come um, I think it's just the way they force the margins or something. Oh. And then, so I, I don't know. You know, I bet, okay, I'm going to make a prediction. Yeah. I bet in 15 years, mm-hmm. everything is just going to be online. Because I mm. look at my high school students and they, up until my class, it seems as if most of them have never used Microsoft Word. All they know is Google Docs. Because mm. Google has been so successful in um, brainwashing this entire country to think that the best way to do anything is through their products. And so, yeah, like, well, first of all, Google Docs is free. It's free, but mm-hmm. what it comes with is that then Google knows everything about all of these children <laughs> because they have all True. of their information from kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and they have given them they've taken a lot of power over the american education system oh, by offering so their funny. products for free but so yeah. you know my student my high school students this past year well, the past two years they it was very unfamiliar to them to for example um save a document they were used to just closing it and everything was saved because they automatically right and so they lost so many pieces of writing early in the year because they forgot to save. And also they're not used to having to email attachments. They're used to just clicking share. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when they grow up and move out into the world and start changing the industry. And Google Docs, I have to say, I, you know, they really wanted to use Google Docs and you cannot format a play in Google Docs the way you can in Microsoft Word. You just don't have as many options in terms of, um, for example, page numbers where you have the first two pages don't have a page number and then the page numbers start on the third page. That's really hard to do in Google Docs. Things like that. Mm, that is true. Yeah, there's some limitations. Or tabs um, are harder. I, I I did no. That's that's really uh, insightful. Like to know that what's happening. This is what's coming. <laughs> what's coming. Get oh, ready, wow. American theaters. 
get ready yeah. for for shared links to play. Well, and it's interesting. I've started to see lately when I submit a play, sometimes people will ask for a Google Doc link. What um, for? Like what? Um, like I'm trying to remember, there have been a couple things this past year where rather than emailing an attachment or uploading an attachment, they wanted me to, in their online form, post a, either a Dropbox link or a Google Doc link, huh. which I found very strange, but I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is strange. Well, the, the only thing is because Google Docs is like share, like it's shared doc where people it's a collaborating right. and you're like could right touch it and but it made me it. a little bit nervous yeah. because i was like i don't want to share this document that's my piece of writing with right. your literary team of people i don't know and then you guys are going to be what like potentially editing my document as you pass notes about it to each other mm-hmm. you know what i mean right but again i did it anyway <laughs> yeah oh that's really so. interesting well, okay. So, are there any other fonts you like to use? Do you ever try a crazy font in a rewrite just to see it differently? Um, I've well, with Highland, they use like a specific font. Like you, that's another thing about oh, Highland. Really? You can't really have too much power in like changing the fonts you want. But the, the font that they use, because it was just so modern, it was like so modern, so contemporary to what I was trying to write you know that i mm-hmm. like that font that i couldn't find any other equivalent font to so wow. like, that's the font i want and i like the look of and this is uh how i wrote it but um i don't even remember the name of the font right now but it's on highland uh is it unique to highland you can't get it anywhere I, else it might be yeah it might wow. be um i like times new romance i just think i like that because it's simple and clean what drives me crazy though when i read people's plays is ariel <laughs> oh I, gosh i was like why I is know. this fun? me too this is it's, i don't know why just why does that drive me crazy i don't know it's um, a very annoying font i think because it makes me think of emails or the internet and so mm-hmm. i mean this is just a theory i'm making up right now but um i'm used to when I read something in Ariel, thinking it's kind of um, temporary and shallow and not interesting, <laughs> and I only it's only I only need to spend like ten percent of my brain on it, and that's not the mentality I want to have when I'm reading a play. Yeah, right, right. And it's when typically now, well, on Google Doc, it's like the first font. You know, know. It's, like the, it's the default. Almost, it's a default for everything, and so I, yeah, I mean, like, I get turned off by it. <laughs> like, yeah, by that font. Um, I just feel like nobody can have anything serious to say in Ariel. Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> there, I've said it. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, I would love to see people write the most serious things in that mm-hmm. font. Let's see. <laughs> Maybe we'll, maybe we'll put it on our social posts. <laughs> uh, how funny. Um, I like to experiment with font sizes. Really? And that's something I've recently been doing too is uh, just certain words. I think you've seen me just go all caps sometimes. 
Remember my writing? Oh, like, yes. Characters are yelling and screaming their heads off. I want it all caps, but now I'm yeah. like, I want it go bigger. <laughs> um, so I've been experimenting with sizes. Um, yeah, I have a play in my play um, thing with feathers. Okay. I have, which is about <laughs> people who can turn into birds. Um, I remember when I was writing that I was really into experimenting with putting words all over the page. And so mm-hmm. like when this one character has just been a bird for a really long time and has just turned back into human, she is trying to find speech again. And I, I put all this white space in between the words that she's saying so that the words appear, they kind of move from left to right across the page. And then there are these big gaps of blank space. I love which that. Which at the time I, I was really into doing, but I haven't done that uh, in a couple of years. I don't know why. So great you say that because I remember an improv class I took and an instructor was telling us as improvisers, as performers, what can help like help translate when you become like, when you're looking at a script, right? Mm-hmm. All the words all the stage direction, everything is on this page, but that blank space, that's yours. So oh, like, and that kind of yeah. maybe changed the way I think about writing like that. And what you just said is this, that blank space is for maybe an improviser turning actor or just for an actor is this, that's kind of the opportunity for the performer to make it their own in that way. Like that. Mm-hmm the blank parts but yeah I was, that what you just said made me think of that quote or well and that's reminding me of Susan Laurie Parks her um she has this essay called elements of style kind of describing some of the notation she uses and in many of her plays she has this convention where she'll have um the character's name with no dialogue mm-hmm. and sometimes it will be several characters' names in a row, just the name with no dialogue. And now I've seen a lot of people start to do this, but I think she was the first to do it in this way. And the way she describes it is that these are not empty moments, but moments to be filled Mm -hmm. by the characters and the director where the characters are expressing their truest self. Um, And so it's not a pause. It's like a, it's a moment where exactly as you said, the actors are um, asked to, to take that space and, and fill it with something Yeah, of their choosing. Yeah. One of the things kind of like what you were talking about, um, the player wrote, that's very like technology thing. And, and I think I've seen plays of this too, or when I've seen shows involving text messages and they project it on screen. Oh, uh-huh. but I wanted to feel like instead of projection, like what does text message look like in between those spaces on the silences or whatever on stage? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of playing with that, and that's a whole new realm because so much of our communication now is digitally through screen. Yeah, so how totally. do you show that on stage? Yeah, just to. I guess for actors and performers listening, like uh, I think those empty spaces or or those silences or those moments of just freed up spaces kind of might be scary sometimes maybe for some people, but I think it's like the most, it could be the most fun to take ownership of as a performer. I want to talk about a couple of cool 
playwriting formats I've seen mm. that are really different. So um, the first one is The Wolves, mm-hmm. which, first of all, I love that play. But um, Sarah DeLapp, so she, first of all, rather than use, or I guess I already said first of all, so second of all, <laughs> uh, first of all, of my second of all, <laughs> um, she, she uses the character's jersey numbers rather than their names, which is cool. It's about soccer players, a group of um, high school soccer players. And then the second thing she does that I think is so neat is she has multiple conversations going on at a time. And so, and often they're aside, they're side conversations that not everybody is privy to. Mm -hmm. So, and she'll show these in columns down the page. So one conversation is happening and then another side conversation starts and she will indent that whole conversation um, a little bit over. And then a third conversation will start and she'll um, have that one running down at a different tab to the right of the first two conversations so that all of these things are happening simultaneously. Wow. And it's almost like a musical score where you can see, um, you can see how the rhythm of these things are playing out at the same time. I love that you said musical score because I think that that's another cool thing about play formats is letting other formats inspire the way yeah. it plays. Like I love, um, there were some plays that kind of takes a format like feels like a, a poetry, like a poem or mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I really love that. You said a musical score. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it for sure. Thanks Sarah. <laughs> Speaking of musical score, another one that I think is really cool that I just um, started reading is chill by Eleanor Burgess. Um, and she does a similar thing. This is a, a four character play. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, rather than using her pages in um, vertical format or portrait format, she has them in landscape. So like if you were to print out this play, the document would look sideways. Um, and the four characters names are across the top of every page. And then their lines are in the column below their name. So for example, so they're Allie, Jen, Ethan, and Stu. On one page, Allie and Stu have no lines and it's just Jen and Ethan talking and they, and it's moving down the page so that they are um, inter, interwoven, these lines, they're alternating. But then what you can do it with that format is you can show very easily people talking at the same time, mm. um, up to four people talking at the same time. So I've never seen a play like that before. I think it's really cool. And it does seem like a musical score. Playwrights, you have so many choices. <laughs> um, and lastly, let's quickly discuss specific notations. Yeah. Yeah. What are some ways that we've seen playwrights use notations? One of the most common things I see everywhere Mm. is, and I think Carol Churchill either invented this or was one of the first first people to do this, which is where you have a a slash indicating Mm -hmm. um, 
that the next character to speak is interrupting at that moment in the line of dialogue. And this slash, which I think at one point was a really good idea, <laughs> has now become, I think, way overused to the point where I think we need to find a new way of showing interruptions because um, sometimes when I'm reading a play and there's so many slashes showing so many interruptions, I get so tired kind of moving my eyes up and down the page to try to figure out where everybody starts talking and where they stop talking (laughs) and where they are saying, where they're speaking over each other. And like, I can't even tell anymore, you know? Yeah. And I, I think there's something to be said for letting the director and actors discover that in the room organically rather than necessarily dictating it. it on the page. Yeah. But how would you, but if like the intention is that in this scene, you want a lot of interrupting, like mm-hmm. how do you, well, uh-huh. I mean, one way to say that is to put a note at the beginning of the scene and say, there's a lot of interrupting. <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. go to town. Have that. Right. <laughs> um, or you, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe this. I really, I find it very aesthetically pleasing to see, um, rather than the lines go down the page and there's a slash indicating where the next one starts to have two columns on the page or even three columns and just show those two lines side by side. Mm. Do Um, you like when a play in the beginning has sort of a roadmap, like scene act one, scene one, like this is kind of what the intention of what I would love the performers to do. Act two, same thing this way. You know what I'm talking about the beginning where they're under yeah, character. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. In my mind, it's similar to I was a big sci-fi and fantasy reader as a young person, and I always loved it when at the beginning of the book there would be like a family tree and a map mm-hmm. of the kingdom. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. I loved that because then I knew I was in entering a whole world. However, sometimes it became very annoying because the <laughs> The story relied so much on my um, having memorized the family tree that I couldn't keep track of who anyone was and I had to keep turning back to the family tree because the narrative itself could not uh, hold up the end of the deal. Okay, like yeah. it was it was using the family tree as a crutch. Um, and so I think it's similar when you give a notation guide at the beginning of a play, I think sometimes it's really cool to see how the playwright is using these tools to support telling a story. And other times there's so many symbols um, that they actually get in the way of a reader being able to just understand the story and what's going on. Mm. That's my two cents. What about you? Honestly... I'll look at it at the end. <laughs> really? You don't even read the notation? I'll read the character start- description, but all, all that, I honestly don't look at it until the end. Really? And, and I just go back. I'm like, okay, I see what they're trying to say here. I honestly just skip it. I'm like. I wow. Don't- see, I could never do that because if I'm reading and on page 
45, I come to a weird asterisk. I have to know what that means. Um, I don't know. I just skip it. <laughs> or a carrot or, yeah, uh, you know, there's yeah, so many symbols. It, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I haven't run into too many of like, oh, having to go back to that page when it was explained to me. But I just, mm-hmm. I read, I like just reading it, finding the story and then, okay, what it was all the intended, what, what, what did all those means and stuff like that at the end. So you're not bothered if like you finish a play uh-huh. and then you go back to the first page and you realize that some of what you read was supposed to be things that people were thinking, but not saying out loud. Yeah, because that's a that's a, like a really common one. Like you, they put some playwrights put some words in brackets or something, right? And, um, and that those are not spoken out loud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just it doesn't bother you. No, I just feel like here's the thing: like all that the I just feel like all that almost not always, but I just feel like a lot of that is just performative. It's for the actor sometimes, yeah. almost always. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to read the story. Like, what is the story? What is who? Who should I be caring about? Like, I just want to follow that first before I get distracted by that. Yeah, the tools and the the things that it's only meant for performers, really. But that's kind of <gasps> my take. That sounds so nice. I want to <laughs> live that way. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's our kind of our episode about formatting plays. Um, and you know, listeners, if anything you agree, you disagree, you sort of feel strongly about, you know, talk to us. About yeah, we want to know how you feel about formatting and fonts and notation. Yeah. So tell us. Tell us. All right. What's your glisten, Sarah? All right. Pretty simple, but I freaking love it. Artichokes. <laughs> the vegetable the vegetable holy cow there's so many ways of eating artichokes you guys <laughs> and it's is it delicious. artichoke season in california what no no i just like had a really good artichoke at a restaurant the other day and, oh wow and it was it was fried up like it looked like a chicken tender it tasted like a chicken tender, <laughs> but it wasn't and it's good for your digestive system it's like it's healthy even though it's fried but it's delicious holy cow i love artichokes I was, and also, the, I don't know. I just like, I, I'm always so weirded out by like how it looks and how. how I think it looks so beautiful. It looks weird. It looks like a scary thorn. Um, but yeah, I discovered, <laughs> I, I mean, I've tried it before, but like not this way. And I just have this newfound appreciation for artichokes. I just love artichokes so much. Like, I just want to just buy cans of them. I want to buy the, the, the actual vegetable. I just want to like find ways to cook it because I'm like obsessed with artichokes right now. Wow, Sarah. <laughs> it's like so passionate about artichokes. I just I just um, Googled it and I learned in this moment that artichoke is a variety of a species of thistle. Whoa, okay. Yeah, and it's you're, the part you're eating is the flower buds before they bloom. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's what I can tell you. Wow, I love it. good glisten (laughs) what's yours sam okay i just read this amazing book um that i found at the library at interlochen where i'm teaching and it's called syllabus it's by the um like comic strip artist and writer named linda berry Mm -hmm. and she um basically put together this book 
documenting several classes she taught um, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And it's, it, it's in the style of um, a composition book, you know, those marble black and white composition books, which she makes her students keep during her class. Um, but the whole book is um, kind of a journal and kind of a syllabus and kind of a um, time capsule. She has all these drawings and little pieces of writing from this class she taught, both by the students and by her as she's figuring out how to teach um, drawing to people who don't consider themselves to be artists for the most part or don't consider themselves to be good at drawing. And it is a joy and a delight to read. So anybody out there who's in academia as a student or a professor, I highly recommend it. Great. All right. So yeah. That was okay. our episode. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks. Until next Go time. Go forth and share on social media. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>